Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. The Bible has a lot to say about what it means to have success. Listen as we learn about this life-changing word in this series called Secret to Success. Well, today we're starting a new series of messages that we are calling The Secret to Success and talking about that, that very elusive word for the next couple of weeks, few weeks, six weeks or so, what is success? You've probably seen it, maybe in somebody's eyes, or maybe it's been you, that moment. I, I'll, I'll have it in, with individuals when we have a conversation, maybe out in the atrium, maybe they'll come in the office, and you just see that look of, I just wonder if what I'm doing makes any difference. Like I work hard, I do the best that I can, but I just wonder, what, what's it matter what I do? Or I heard it just yesterday from a, a young mom of preschool kids who said, I asked myself, does my life have any value? I'm tired, I'm busy, and I wonder what difference am I even making? You see it in the, in the thoughts and the conversation you might have with a retiree who looks back on their life and said, did it matter? Did I have any impact? And what, what's my purpose now? Or you'll have a conversation with a young lady who's finishing up high school or who's in college and saying, I have dreams. I have things I want to do. I have goals. I have aspirations. And I can't wait to, to head into those things and what God has in store for me. You see the same thing. All of those people, the retiree, the college student, the young mom, or the frustrated employee, what they're after is success. And success is such an elusive thing. It's, it's a hard word to define because what's success to you might not be success to me and vice versa. How do you gauge it? Is it fame? Is it money? Is it authority? Is it power? How do you decide who's a success and who's not? And it causes us to ask a lot of questions. In fact, here's what I've found. I have found that most of the people that I would look at and say they, they seem to be effective, they seem to be successful, most of those people usually know how to ask the right questions. They know how to ask good questions. And today I want us to consider three questions about this idea of success. What's the secret to success? I think these questions will kind of set us up to talk about the things that we'll talk about through the rest of this series. I want to ask you three questions, and then we're going to look at what Scripture says kind of in response to those questions. The first question, and I think the very first place that we've got to begin, is this. What is success? If we're going to ask a question, if we're going to try to figure it out, I think at the very beginning we've got to ask this question. To talk about it, we've got to understand it. What, what even is Success. It can be defined, as we've already said, in a lot of different ways. And when we look at God's word, we can talk about a lot of people who were probably successful. But in the Old Testament, in the light of the world around them, I don't think anyone was as successful or appeared to be as successful as King Solomon. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 1 today. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. King Solomon was the king of Israel. His father David was probably the greatest king that Israel ever had because he established them as a nation. They grew like crazy. He was a man after God's own heart. But Solomon, his son, expanded the kingdom. He knew a time of 
unparalleled peace. He had wealth. He had success. He had fame like no other king. People came from all over the world, and the reason they came to meet Solomon or to see Solomon was one thing. They'd heard that he was a success. They'd heard about what he had. They heard about what he'd done, and they wanted to see it. They wanted to experience it for themselves. So you can easily say that Solomon was probably scripturally, maybe the most successful person in the whole book. And there's this interesting story of how he got there, how he became such a success. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, Solomon is is basically, I I don't know, you might even say he's on a little bit of a retreat. And in the process of of him worshiping God, he has this really unique encounter. Look at this, 2 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 7. It says, that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. That's a pretty cool offer, isn't it? God says, look, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. It's yours. You can have it. It's yours for the asking. I've asked myself quite a bit this week, what would I have asked for? If God were to say that to me, how would I respond? Because here's basically what God said. You want to be a success, Solomon? Ask me for whatever you want. He hadn't been king very long. This was very early in his reign. Solomon, what do you want? Probably a lot of us, we'd probably ask for cash, wouldn't we? You know what, God? Cold, hard cash. If I can get an unlimited ATM in my kitchen, that would be fantastic. Let's do that. For some of us, we'd want fame. You know what, God? I'm tired of being obscure. I want people to know who I am. I want them to respect me. I'll take a little bit of fame. For some of us, it would be, it would, it would be power and authority. You say, look, I'm tired of working for the man. I want to be the man. God, let that be me. Solomon didn't ask for any of those things. What he asked for showed an awful lot about his heart, but even the fact that he wasn't looking so short range, he was looking further down. Watch what happens here. Verse 8, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 8. Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now listen to what he just said there. He says, look, you've shown great kindness to David, my father. He hasn't been king very long, and he realizes he's following the king, the guy who set it all up. David was the one who really, although he wasn't the first king of Israel, he established the nation of Israel. He was a mighty warrior, yet he was a man after God's own heart. He saw so much success. He was the golden boy of Israel. And now Solomon's saying, you want me to do what? (laughs) You want me to follow who? You want me to be the king? And he didn't come by it the way that you might expect someone to become king. How does it usually happen? Well, both in the Bible and then just historically, how do you become the king? Well, you are the firstborn son of the king. So there's a king, he has a son, firstborn son, ta-da, you're the king. Solomon wasn't the firstborn. In fact, if you read through the book of First and Second Samuel, you'll see there's all this story, there's all this drama around the life of David. Solomon wasn't David's firstborn. In fact, if you sat down and said, Solomon, why don't you tell me a little bit about your family tree? Here's what he'd say. He says, you remember that story about King David when he slept with that one soldier's wife and then had that one soldier killed? So you had this whole story of adultery and murder. Do you remember that story? Yeah, that's my mom. A little bit of an awkward conversation to have. He wasn't necessarily the first guy that you'd think of, of David's sons to be king. But for some reason, God chose him to do this. 
And this was no little task, as we'll see in just a minute in what he says. This was huge. And I want you to understand this, that God may entrust you with a task that is bigger than you are. God may entrust you with a task that's bigger than you are. He may put something in front of you. He may put something in your heart to do that in the natural you look at and you go, how am I ever going to do this? It could be the season that you're in with your schooling. Maybe you're in high school. Maybe you're in college. I know that for a lot of students, we're starting to look towards the end of the school year and there's projects and there's tests and there's these big things that are in front of you. And you go, how am I going to do this? feels like God's entrusted me with more than I can handle. For some of you, it's in the workplace. You, you've got a job that you don't like, or maybe it's a job where the expectations are unrealistic. Maybe it's something in your family. God, I don't know how to make these decisions. God, I don't know how to heal this relationship. God, I don't know how to parent these children. Sometimes it's in what we have. Sometimes it's what we've lost. And we say, I don't know that I can do this without that. For some of you, it's, it's that diagnosis, it's that health statement, it's that thing that you say that the doctor just told you and you're not so sure how you're going to respond to that. God, I don't, I don't know that I can handle this. This seems bigger than what I am. It could be a challenge. For some of you, it's that God's looked at you and said, you, you're the king. I've put you in this spot. God may entrust you with something that's bigger than you are. And in those moments... We have to recognize that he's a good God that will help us even when you look at it and you say, I'm not sure how I can be a success. This seems bigger than I am. Watch what Solomon then says next to God. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 9. Now, Lord God, let your promise, go back to this, watch that. Remember this word promise. Let your promise to my father David be confirmed. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. He's like, look, God, this is a big deal. There's more people here than I know what to do with. Seems like there's more people here than the dust of the earth. And I'm the one who's in charge of them, God. How did this happen? You want me to do what? <laughs> That's where he's at. He says, but, God, I know you gave a promise to my father David. His promise to David was this, I will establish your throne. As long as you serve and follow me, I will make sure that your kingdom is established and I will give you what you need and I will protect you as long as you stay committed to me. And Solomon says, look, I know I have your promise. And so as a result, I know you'll help me to be the king, even though this job seems bigger than I can imagine. And recognize this, God desires to bless you in what he has called you to do. God desires to bless you in what he's called you to do. Now, don't misunderstand the word bless here. Because oftentimes when we think of bless, we immediately go to prosperity. Or that there'll be no problems. Or that everything's going to be perfect. The idea throughout scripture, Old and New Testament, blessing is this. That God will give you everything you need to accomplish his purposes for your life. He's not going to leave you lacking. He's not going to leave you wanting. Oftentimes, it is in forms of spiritual, financial, personal health blessings. You'll see it in those ways. But don't just limit it to that. The deal is this. Even when times are hard, God will give you what you need to accomplish what he's called you to do. And this is what Solomon says. He says, look, I know the promise you gave my father, so I'm standing on that promise even though this job's so big, even though this thing in front of me doesn't make sense. God, I want to be a success. I want to do what you've called me to do and rest in this. God desires to bless you in that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says that if you'll seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be given to you as well. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this is a cool promise. 
Peter says, his divine power has given us, not will give us, not might give us. It has given us. We don't have to wonder if it's going to happen. He's already done it. You might not tangibly have received it yet, but his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The key is you and I have to make sure that we define success not by our terms, but God's terms. Not just by what we want, but by what God wants. So Solomon says this, watch this. God says, what do you want from me? What can I give to you? Solomon says, wow, God, this, this seems bigger than I can handle. But I know you've promised me success, so here's what I'm asking for. Look at verse 10, 2 Chronicles 1.10. He says, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Of all the things he could have asked for, He asked for wisdom because he knew that in the short term, the cash, the power, the authority, the fame, at some point, it would all fall apart. What he really needed was to know how to do the job that God had called him to do. Because if he did it well, then all those other things would come alongside. Of all the things he could have asked for, he knew this, that the secret to success begins with wisdom. You want to be successful? You want to have success? It starts with wisdom. Success begins there. And what's so interesting is what you see happen next. Because Solomon, with a very pure heart, says, God, I'm not asking you for the cash or the fame. He says, what I really need, I need to know how to do this job that you've called me to do. I need to know how to be the person that you want me to be. Watch what God says, verse 11. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, and you've not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies. And since you've not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Do you see what happened here? God said, look, Solomon, you've chosen the right thing because you could have just had this one thing, but instead you asked the right thing because you realize that if you want to be successful, it has to start with wisdom. Wisdom is the key that unlocks the door of success. See, for some of you, you're pounding on that door. You're knocking on that door. You're trying to break the door of success down. You're pulling bobby pins out of your hair and trying to pick the lock, right? What, I don't wear bobby pins, so I don't know how that works. But that's what you're trying to do. The key to unlocking the door of success, Solomon knew it. Scripture says it. It's wisdom. That's what makes it happen. So the first question we have to consider is what is success? The answer is that success begins with wisdom, which then leads to the next question very naturally, what is wisdom? If I know that success comes from wisdom, then how am I going to get this thing called wisdom? We have to ask the question, what is wisdom? And Solomon knew that was the right question. So what he put together is what we know as the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is a collection of truths about wisdom. Proverbs is a collection of truths about wisdom. And so what we're going to do is we look at the secret to success over the course of these next few weeks 
is that we're going to consider what Proverbs says about areas where we want to be a success in our lives. If Proverbs is a collection of truths about wisdom, then how do we apply it to the places where we want to be a success? We're going to talk about our friendships. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about our attitude. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about where we find happiness and joy. These things, we're going to talk about our families and our homes. How do we be successful in these different areas of our lives? And Solomon, who Scripture says was the wisest man that ever lived, knew that there had to be some truth that we would apply. And so we're going to look at, over the course of these next few weeks, what wisdom from the book of Proverbs says to us about these key strategic areas of our lives. Listen to what wisdom does for you. I love this passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 2. In fact, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs through the rest of our morning. Proverbs chapter 2. Let me read it from the New Living Translation. Whenever, Whenever there's a big decision, a kind of a challenge in front of me, oftentimes I'll go back to this passage of Scripture. Solomon says this, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. You'll see those terms, young man or my child or my son throughout the book of Proverbs because it was collected and written in a way so that a young person would be able to come to this and find wisdom. He says, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. Isn't that awesome? He protects those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Watch this. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Isn't that a cool package right there? I'll sign up for that. I need something to protect me. I need to know how to do what's just and right and fair. I need something that's going to keep me safe. And Solomon says you find that when you find wisdom. It's the key that unlocks the door to success. When when I was a kids pastor and kind of focused on ministry to children, one of the things that I would find is there were times when you'd start to lose their attention They might get like sleepy or bored or they might start to drift off really like most of you in this moment right now. And what I would do is I would look for some way to get their attention back. And so one of the things that was effective is if you do like an illusion or kind of a magic trick, you kind of catch them off guard and do this kind of thing. And I was never very good at it, but I had a friend who was really good at it. I remember I watched him do a magic trick and I'd be like, hey man, how do you do that? And when I would ask him, I'd say, how do you do that? Here was his answer every time. He'd go, very well. (laughs) That was mean. But we want to know, how does that happen? How can I be successful? How can I be effective at what I want to do? How can my life make a difference? And Solomon says it starts here. It starts with wisdom. Wisdom is the trick. Wisdom is how it happens. And he says that wisdom comes from God. It's not going to come anywhere else. If you want to find wisdom in your life, wisdom comes from God. He tells us this in chapter 2 of Proverbs. For the Lord grants wisdom. That's the source. Where does it come from? Watch this. Right at the beginning of the book, the seventh verse of chapter 1, he says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
He even says it more clearly in chapter 9, verse 10. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God, and wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So if success begins with wisdom, where does wisdom begin? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, which causes us then to ask a a third question, kind of the last question we'll consider today. How do you fear the Lord? If we know that that's the key, if fearing God is where wisdom comes from and that opens the door to success, then how do we fear the Lord? It's important that we, we don't begin to misunderstand that word fear. It doesn't mean to be terrified. It doesn't mean to be frightened. That fear means this, that we recognize who God is, that we acknowledge him, that we honor him, that we put him in the right place in our lives and we see him for who he is. That's the fear of the Lord. How do we do that? Well, as I thought about this, the best way I would know to express what the fear of the Lord looks like comes directly from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter three, verse five. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. But listen to what Solomon says. Chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Have you heard that passage before? Yeah, really familiar. In fact, it was one that I can remember learning, memorizing when I was just a little kid. In fact, let's read it together. Read this with me, if you will, back at the beginning. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So for the last few minutes that we have, let's do this. Let's talk about what these verses really mean. Let's kind of just unpack them for a few minutes. Then start here. The first thing he says to us is that we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. That you trust in the Lord with all your heart. And if I know you, I'm going to guess that there's a lot of places in your life where it would do well for you to have some place where you could put your trust. They did research of a thousand people between the ages of 25 and 54, and they asked this question, one of the truly great questions of life. The question was, what do you think about while you're in the shower? Why was that an interesting question? Because oftentimes that's that one place where there's nothing we can do but be there. You can't really multitask. And oftentimes, it's where you begin your day, it's where you end your day. So in that moment, what do you do? What do you think about? Here are the top four things they mentioned. Number one, people think about their to-do lists. Number two, their problems and their worries. Number three, daydreams. And number four, work. And the author who wrote about this says this, what an interesting glimpse into what we obsess over as we wake up in the morning or wind down in the evening, the two times most of us take a shower. While we clean ourselves to start the day, we sully ourselves with stress and disappointment. When we try our best to clear the clutter from our minds at the end of the day, we fill our minds to overflowing with thoughts about places to go, people to see, dreams to fulfill. We are a people who can barely go one minute without pondering the many things we feel we need to do, must do, should be doing, but are not. Isn't that interesting? Naturally, where do our minds go? Our challenges, our struggles, the things that are in front of us, which so clearly says that we need some place where we can put our trust. What's the first step to finding wisdom? That you trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. That you know he's the one in who you put your success. You know, there's a principle from business that I think is really true to finding spiritual success as well. You probably have heard people say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's so true. From a spiritual standpoint, if you want to succeed, you have to put your trust in the Lord. Ability is key. Hard work is essential. But if you aren't putting your trust in him, in who you know, what you knew, and what... (laughs) Amen? Amen. Okay. If you're not putting your trust in him, what you do and what you know isn't going to matter. It's who you know. It's your confidence in him. Now, let let me stop for just a minute, because I think this is really essential. That he says here that you trust in the Lord with all your heart. And oftentimes, we want to invite God into our success. We want him to kind of be the springboard that we have to where we want to go. But the reality is, he's not asking to just be a part of it. He asks that you trust him with all your heart. Now look, I'm, I'm not picking here. This, this came to my mind, my spirit, when I was preparing the sermon, but I didn't have anybody in mind. So if you think that I'm taking a minute to kind of pick on you, honestly... I'm not. The reality is I've, I've known some people over the years that say, look, I want God to bless and honor my business. I want God to bless and honor what I do. So what they do is when they create a logo for their business, they make sure and put a little fish on it, right? Because if you put a fish on it, then your business is Christian. And if you have that little fish swimming around your business, then God has to bless you, right? That's the way it works. Look, I've known people who put fish on their cars, but then they don't drive like they're Christians. Do you know what I'm talking about? You got to love the 419 on your, on your car. You drive like you're from Calvary. Look, I don't care what church you're from. If you just got a little fish, you can drive like you're from some other church. But if you're going to have the 419 thing, drive like you're from here. Well, here's what happens. People put that little fish on there, but then they don't run their business like Christ would have them to run it. So many of us, we wear the little cross around our neck because we think then somehow we're, we're obligating God to somehow watch over us, but then we live our lives as someone who never heard what Jesus said about dying to yourself and taking up your cross. But the reality is we want to brand ourselves with a little bit of Jesus because we think in that sense it gives us some success. We want him to have this part of our lives, but we're not willing to say to him, I trust you with all my heart. Does that make sense? Look, he wants all. He doesn't just want to be on the surface. He just doesn't want to be on the outside. What people see and say, oh, there must be a little bit of God in there. Maybe it'll be blessed. No, he says, look, I want you to trust me with all your heart. Now, this might not, this might not make sense to you, but as I'm praying about this, this, this thought came to my mind and this, this analogy. You know, sometimes we've talked about the favor train, about how sometimes you sense God's favor, and when you sense that, he's moving in a certain direction, you're willing to get on board with where he's going. So you get on board the favor train, and you trust that God's going to take you by his favor where he's wanting to lead you, your family, your church, whatever that might be. But for some of us, we do it this way. We're like, oh, cool, God, you're going in this direction. I want to get on board. But instead of just kind of sitting here, God, and letting you be in control, I'd like to kind of hang off the side of the train if that's okay. And I think I'm going to help you out, God. So as your train's moving, I'm just going to kind of just kind of push us along and help to steer us, hanging off the side of the train. Now, if you get on the side of a train and try doing that, do you know what's going to happen? You're either going to fall off or something's going to fall off, right? In the process of that, you're headed for destruction if you think you're going to be able to kind of move and steer that thing. That's why God says, look, I'm not asking you to do this. Trust in me with all your heart. 
Now you work hard, you do what I've called you to do, but at the end of the day, it's you saying to God, I trust you with all that I have. That word is so key here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he makes it even one more step to help us understand it. As if we didn't get it with all our heart. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's not just, Lord, I trust you, but it's also this, Lord, I realize I can't trust myself. I realize that my trust in you means I see myself for who I am. That's the next step that I fully commit this to you. I lean not on my own understanding and what I want. I went to a, I went to a beautiful wedding yesterday. A friend of mine got married, and, and uh, it, was, it was cool to be there. They've dated for quite a while. And yesterday, they stood and looked in each other's eyes and said those vows of commitment to each other. They entered into a covenant relationship with each other. So they're not, they're not dating anymore. They're, they're married now. It's actually a huge difference in that because when you're dating, you say, I choose to be with you. I choose to be with you because I like the way I feel when I'm with you. I like the way that it looks when I'm with you. I like this experience. It's good. So I choose to be with you. That's cool. But when you get married, it takes it to a whole nother level. It's not just I choose to be with you. When you get married, when you enter into that covenant, you say, I choose to be with no one else, just you. That's why in that moment, in those vows, you say, till death do us part. And I often communicate in premarital counseling. You know, you say, till death do us part. And if you don't do that, then we will kill you. Uh. You're going to die either way. Okay? That's the reality. That's that commitment. Not just I choose to be with you, but I choose to be with no one but you. For a lot of us, our our Christian faith has us kind of dating God. God, I, I like you. I like being with you. I like how it feels when we're around. I feel kind of successful. In fact, God, I look good with you. I like that. But I'm keeping my options open. You know, there, there may be something else that comes along, and at some point I may have to, maybe God will hold hands, but I might hold hands over here too. I haven't made that full commitment yet. You know what Solomon says? Look, if you, if you want to fear the Lord, which of of course, it's the way that you get wisdom, and wisdom is the key to unlocking the door of success. You've got to be willing to say, Lord, I trust in you with all my heart and not on my own understanding, not what I want. I'm not keeping my options open. I'm not trusting myself. I'm trusting in you. Look at what he says, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. I've realized that the way I see things Oftentimes, I can't trust myself. You ever ordered something in a restaurant because it looks so good, and then they put it down in front of you? You get about halfway through it, and you go, there is no way that I can do this. Because your eyes were bigger than your... Yeah, it's lunchtime for you, isn't it? (laughs) You get to that point. You go, look, I can't do this. I thought it when I saw it. And I've realized that the way that I see things, I can't trust myself. That's why Solomon says, look, do not be wise... In your own eyes, lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. This is essential for you to recognize that the fear of the Lord causes me to say, God, I fully trust in you, and I realize this. At the end of the day, I can't trust myself outside of you. 
One of the ways that, that I've seen this happen in my life to help me in that area is to realize that I'm not doing this all on my own. The more I try to do it on my own, the more frustrating it gets in this process of trusting in myself, trying to do it all for myself on my own. And eventually I just get frustrated. What I need is not just that relationship with the Lord, but I actually need that relationship with other people to help me in that. That's why when we talk about our mission and our vision here at Calvary, we say that life change happens when we connect, grow, and serve. And that connect element is so essential that you find a group of people, especially as the church is growing, that you find a group of people that you connect with, that you can, in a certain sense, share parts of life with. People that will pray with you, people that will encourage you, people that you can laugh with, people that you can spiritually grow with. And so that's why we encourage people to get involved in a connect group. In this series of messages, this Secret to Success series, we are encouraging everybody to get involved in a connect group. Kind of a small group of people, probably about 10 to 12 other people, that you will connect with on a regular basis. And what we're going to do through this series is every week we're going to produce a resource that will help you to take what we talk about on Sunday and then to look at it in the context of a small group so that you can grow together in the things that we've talked about. And that'll help us to apply those things spiritually to our lives. Because I know this, I can't always trust myself, but other people help me to grow in my faith and my relationship. Many of you have said to me, look, hey, we, we love Calvary, we love coming to church here, but we feel like we're not really connected, or we don't know that many people, or we want to get more involved. This is a great opportunity for you to do this and get plugged into a connect group. You're not committing to do this for the rest of your life. Actually, we're encouraging you to just do this for kind of a six-week series of time and kind of get plugged in for that time. You can go out to our website, and there's right on the, near the very bottom, there's a block that, there that just says Connect Group. You just click on that button. It'll take you out real easy to sign up. Or you can stop by in the back of our atrium before you leave today. Pastor Keith's there with his team. They've got some computers set up that'll help you to get connected and get plugged into a Connect Group. I really do believe it can be essential if you're already in one, the leader of your group will talk to you about uh, what, what the plan is for this sermon series. But oftentimes people say to me, yeah, I, I, want, I want to do that, but I'm just not so sure about Right? We come up with these different excuses. You say, look, well, you say six weeks, but I'm really busy. I don't, I don't know if I can do all six weeks. Well, do what you can. Get involved somewhere. Get connected in this and get to know some people. And I say, well, look, if I'm in a group like that, I probably have to go over to somebody's house that I don't no, and go over to, I don't know their house, I don't know these people, and that's creepy. I don't want to do that. Go over to their house. Look, a lot of the groups are meeting right here at the church, so it's no creepier than usual. You just come over here to the regular, <laughs> same old creepy place. Some of you say, look, I, I'd like to be a part of a group, but I've got kids, and my kids are bad. i got bad kids. We'll put you in a group with other people with bad kids, and then you can, you can send your kids to somebody who's going to take care of them while you get together and are part of that group. Some of you say, look, well, I've tried this before, but nobody, nobody got back with me. Well, look, and, and we apologize. I know sometimes that happens. Things fall through the cracks. We're doing better. We want to make sure you don't fall through the cracks. Some of you say, I've tried this before, and when I did, I ended up in a group with a lot of weird people. We're working to keep our weird people per capita ratio down, okay? So you're, you, we want to help you to do that. I want to be in a group with other people like me. I want to connect to other people. I wanna, this is a great opportunity. It's, it's, it's a, it's a risk-free trial. It doesn't cost you anything to do this, but if you don't like it, we'll give you that money back, okay? That's how it works. And I know how it works. Maybe you go, well, I want to do this, but my, my spouse doesn't want to. Look, just give it a try. 
I remember when we first came to Calvary, I did not want to be in a group. I just didn't want to do it. And uh, we kind of got invited to go to a group. We're like, I don't do this thing. And Ron's like, I got to do this thing. And I'm like, the last thing, I work at the church. Last thing I want to do is spend time with those people in my free time. I don't want to do this, (laughs) right? We went 17 years ago, and I will tell you, it was one of the... um, One of the most important things we've done, the friendships that came out of that, the way that God led not just our family, but together how we grew through different seasons of life is so significant. You'll talk yourself out of one of the most important things that you could ever do. Because you can't do it on your own. If you try to lean on your own understanding, you're you're not gonna be as successful as what God would like for you to do. So just try it. Click on the link on the online or stop in the back of the atrium. Check it out. You got nothing to lose. Join a connect group next six weeks. I, I promise you, you'll be glad that you did. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And then he goes on to say this. In all your ways, submit to him. Kind of the third part of those verses. In all your ways, submit to him. If, if you learned it in another version like I did, like the, the King James says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. The, uh, the New Living Translation, I like how it says it. It says, in all your ways, um, seek after him and his ways. Seek after what he has for you. How do you do that? Solomon goes on to say this. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So there's two parts there. Do you see what he says here? You commit to the Lord whatever you do. He will establish your plans. You commit he will establish. And that's so key because oftentimes we, we say to him, God, I give you everything that I have. But do we really? Because we have our own plans. We know how we want it to work out. God, I'm just telling you, I know what's best. So if you will just do what I say, God, it'll all work out. We have our plans. Here's what Solomon says. You commit your relationship. You commit your schooling. You commit this illness. You commit your job. You commit your business. You commit this opportunity to him. And then he will establish your plans. You know why? Because his plan for your plans is better than your plan for your plans. You can trust him with that. Now I've learned that in the process of this, I can't trust myself. So what do I have to do? I have to see things through his eyes. And that happens when I spend time in his word. So wouldn't this be cool if over the course of these next couple of months, as we walk through the book of Proverbs, what if as a church we read Proverbs together? Now, if you've ever read Proverbs, you'd actually know that of all the books in the Bible, it's it's actually really kind of a fun read. Because one verse after another, Solomon gives to us these short statements of wisdom. If you didn't like this one, you're going to love the next one. And it's just, they didn't have Twitter in the Bible, but if they did, it would have been Proverbs. It's like Solomon's just tweeting one little nugget after another. So what if we did this? Whatever over the course of the next couple of months, we said, hey, we're going to read through the book of Proverbs together. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Most months have 30 or 31 days in them. So the easy thing is this, that each day you say, what's the calendar day? And then you read the chapter that corresponds with that. So tomorrow will be April the 4th. Last service, it was like third, fourth, no third, no fourth. People are going back and forth right down here. It's the fourth. So which chapter in the book of Proverbs will you read tomorrow? You'll read chapter four. And you read through that. And let me tell you with this, you could do it first thing in the morning. You could do it last thing at night. You can do it at lunchtime to help you deal with those people you don't like. And you read the Bible, right? And do this. Don't just kind of breeze through it so you don't feel guilty. Before you even start, say, God, I'm asking you to have something here. Connect with something here. Connect with something here. 
Allow something to just jump off the page at me. And I've seen this so true in this book that God will use his word at just the right time to speak to you at just the right moment. And then you'll have a proverb that you can maybe write down or put in memory or stick it on a post-it note or an index card and keep that in your heart as you go through your day. You know why? Because it helps you to see things his way. And then you can trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, submit to him. You commit it to him. He'll establish your plans. And the last part of what he says here, and he will make your paths straight. What does that mean? Remember that in this time, how people got around was by walking. By and large, your mobility came from your own feet. And as you traveled, you'd like a straight path. You know why? Because a straight path symbolizes progress. It means I'm moving forward. It means that I'm in the right direction. That idea of a straight path means that it's clear that the obstacles are things that I can get around and that I can move past. Throughout the book of Proverbs, when he talks about the fool, oftentimes he says that the shady people take crooked paths, but the righteous person takes a straight path. And the idea is this, that when you're on a straight path, you are headed in the right direction. Get this. People say to me sometimes, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm in a season, I am in a place, I am in a situation that I cannot see what's ahead for me. You know what this says? It says you trust in the Lord and then you take the next step. You can't see 10 steps out, but you can see the next one. You can know what the next thing is. And look at the promise that's here. Proverbs chapter four, verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. What's the next step? You can't see all the steps. You don't know everywhere you're going to go, but you can know the next one you got to take. And you can know the next one you got to take. And if you're heading down that straight path, if God's leading you, just like the sun that comes up in the morning, God will shine his light on your situation, on your circumstance, where you are, and he will lead you if. What do you want? You want success. Where does success come from? It comes from wisdom. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of God. What's the fear of God? I think if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, and you lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways you acknowledge him, he will make your path straight. I emphasize that word all for a reason. Let's go back to Solomon. Wisest man that ever lived richest man in the Bible. He had insight to say at just the right moment when God said, Solomon, what do you want from me? He says, God, what I want is wisdom. And God said, then Solomon, I'll give you everything else. But somewhere along the lines, he, he let go of the all part. I think somewhere he started to believe his own press. And he started to rely on his own wisdom. And although he still branded his business with the fish and the cross, he did what he wanted to do. And things that God had very clearly told him, this is not the best thing, Solomon. He still chased after it. He had more wives than God told him to have. And you can just imagine that that's trouble, right? They're always calling you on the phone. And then he started to to follow after other gods. To the point that God said this, 
First Kings chapter 11, verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. It's not like he didn't know who he was talking to. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. And can I tell you this? From that point on, the history of the nation of Israel dramatically changes. There was an unprecedented season of peace during Solomon's reign. But then it all went haywire. And if you read through the rest of the Old Testament, it's a struggle of king after king after king over and over again. Because somewhere, somebody said in their own pursuit of success that I'll do it my way instead of God's way. And what God asks is that you give him all that you are. Look up. A message like this gets applied to all of us in different ways. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. And you know the area that you desire success in your life. School, home. Maybe it's in ministry. Maybe it's in relationships. But we know this. Success begins with wisdom. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord calls us to trust Him with all that we have. So Pastor John's going to lead us in the chorus of a song we sang just a few minutes ago. He says, so I'll stand with arms high, heart abandoned. I'll say, Lord, all I am is yours. And I challenge you that as we sing this song, that you would lift your hands, that you would say, God, I give you all of my heart. Pastor John, would you lead us? And would you let this moment be a moment in which you reflect and say, God, I fully trust in you. Thank you. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Make this your prayer. I'll stand. Arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. Father, so many of us are, are driven by that word success. But your word says that success comes from wisdom. Wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to live a life searching after you. God, help us to trust in you with all of our hearts. May we lean not on our own understanding. We can't trust ourselves. We trust in you. In all of our ways, God, this day, this week, would you help us to submit to you, seek after you, to acknowledge you, knowing this, that even if the path is uncertain, even if it looks scary, even if it's unsure, we know that you caused the path of the righteous to shine brighter and brighter. So Lord, would you make our paths straight as we entrust all that we have. Now Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us.
Father, would you send us out with your special favor and wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name.